In Jesus' name. You can be seated this morning. The view of the shepherds. There is quite a bit of tradition. I don't know that I would call it folklore. But a lot of tradition that has been passed down through the Israelite people regarding both Bethlehem and what happened with the shepherds. Luke goes into greater detail regarding Bethlehem as the birthplace of Jesus Christ than do the other Gospels. The birthplace of Jesus was a center of historic associations. It was the city of David. It was Rachel's burying place. It became the home of Ruth. Fifteen miles to the south was Hebron, the home of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the place where David was made king over Judah. Hebron, the place where Gideon, sorry, not Gideon, Caleb, claimed his promise. Ten miles northwest was Gibeon, where Joshua prayed and the sun stood still. Twelve miles west was the valley of Shoko, where David had slain Goliath. Six miles north was Jerusalem, where Abraham paid tithe to Melchizedek. The magnificent capital city of David and Solomon, six miles north in Jerusalem. The scenes of the ministry of the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah. The center of God's age-long effort to reveal himself to mankind and nestled within all of that was the little city of Bethlehem but you see Joseph and his espoused wife Mary did not live in Bethlehem they lived in Nazareth which was a 100 mile journey to you and I that doesn't sound like an awful long journey you hop in the car you drive 50 miles an hour you're going to be there in two hours you drive 75 miles an hour you're going to be there in an hour and a half you drive 100 miles an hour you get pulled over you'll still be there in an hour and a half if you get there at all but on a donkey and by foot I mean, even if they were walking a hundred miles in hay dudes, they're going to be hurting. Days upon end. Brother Venable, even if Joseph had a nice pair of red wing boots for his carpentry business, imagine walking a hundred miles in red wing boots. It's going to be rough. Imagine riding a hundred miles on the back of a donkey. Pregnant. Joseph's ears are going to be melted off. And Mary's backside is going to feel quite 
uncomfortable. There. A hundred miles from home. Why? Because Micah chapter 2 and verse, I'm sorry, chapter 5 and verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. Just that small, seemingly insignificant city, this little town, this little village, seemingly so insignificant, but God has the tendency to use things that seem insignificant to men and women and do extraordinary things through that which seems to be insignificant. Whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Therefore will he give them up until the time which, that she which travaileth hath brought forth and then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth, and this man shall be the peace. When the Assyrians shall come into our land, and when he shall tread in our palaces, then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. Bethlehem, Ephrata. You have a promise. But Joseph and Mary, the chosen earthly parents of Jesus Christ, don't live in Bethlehem. They live a hundred miles away. And so God uses a decree of Rome that requires them to travel to Bethlehem, the place of Joseph's heritage. So the child can be born according to the prophetic word. So God makes the decree of a pagan empire to be the instrument that he uses to fulfill godly prophecies. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. But he came as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger because duteous, there was no room. But yet he can take and he can manipulate and, and, and move and, and shake and posture everything according to what he needs to be done. So don't think that the situation that you're facing on this Christmas morning is out of his control because it's not. Things have never been out of his control, nor will they ever be out of his control. He took a Roman, uh, a Roman leader's egotism greed the love of money Rome has to grow we're conquering the world let's tax everybody and let's make them go back to the birthplace of their heritage in order to be taxed so then we can count them so then we can know how great our empire is and how many we have under our control So God makes the decree of a pagan empire his instrument to fulfill his prophecies. And so we find in Luke chapter 2, shepherds 
abiding in a field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Jewish tradition calls that place the shepherd's field, where the angelic choirs sang the birthday hallelujahs of earth's new king. It was about three quarters of a mile east of Bethlehem. If we were to go all the way back to the time of the judges in Israel, we would find a man by the name of Boaz who would marry a Moabite young lady by the name of Ruth. They would first meet in Boaz's field while she is gleaning the harvest. Jewish tradition says that the shepherd's field was adjacent to the field of Boaz where he met Ruth. Whether that's true or not, we don't know, but that's what their tradition says. And so, Boaz and Ruth down the line would have a son by the name of Obed, and then down the line there would be another son by the name of Jesse, and then there would be another son by the name of David. And so you can trace the history all the way back to Boaz and Ruth and what happened in the field that's supposed to be right next to the shepherd's field. And so we think in our own minds that things are out of God's control and we don't understand why this is going on and we don't understand. Joseph, why do I have to ride this stupid donkey for a hundred miles? One gospel says she's great with child. She's not feeling great. She's at the point in her pregnancy where she will do anything for relief. Just pull on my right ear. I think that's where the pressure's at. If you just get me another basket of deep fried pickles, I promise you. But I want mustard. And ice cream. She's beyond the point of excitement. And she's thinking, if I don't have this child soon, I'm going to lose my mind. But let's just go on a hundred mile trip. That's like if we said, hey, let's ride to Walmart today on a dog sled. But it's a Walmart that's a hundred miles away. It's not very comfortable. Ben and Deborah might be comfortable, but the rest of us wouldn't be comfortable. Just teasing. Just teasing. I know Ben, you're from Michigan, not Alaska. The shepherds feel, Joseph, you got to go all the way back to where your family originated. And it was there, three quarters of a mile outside of Bethlehem, that shepherds, lowly shepherds, tradition says that the shepherds were no ordinary shepherds. But they were raising sheep for the sacrifice in the temple. And so there in the field adjacent to where Boaz and Ruth had met some 1,100 years prior, there's a heavenly host. The messenger angel of God appears and begins to speak to shepherds about the great shepherd who is also the Lamb of God. The angel of the Lord came upon them. 
the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He's talking to shepherds. And he said unto you, Mary was not in the field. Joseph was not in the field. But he said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you, shepherd. Go inspect the Lamb going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Jewish tradition would tell you that when a lamb was born that had all the makings of a lamb without blemish, a lamb without spot, a lamb without wrinkle, a lamb that would be able to be used for sacrifice in the temple for the sins of the people that the shepherd not wanting the lamb to go stumble off somewhere and, and get a bruise or get cut or fall into some kind of harm this lamb is not like other lambs they would pick the lamb up and they would grab cloth cloth and they would wrap the lamb in swaddling clothes and lay them in the manger so that they could not go anywhere on their own or under their own power so they wouldn't fall prey to some kind of danger so they would not receive some kind of blemish. And I find it interesting this morning that the angel did not first appear to Herod. The angel did not first appear uh, to those in, in high society, but the angel appeared to shepherds that were under the impression and understood that I've got to inspect the lamb. And they said, for unto you is born in the city of David today a Savior that's Christ the Lord. You're going to find him wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger just like the other lambs that you have inspected, just like the other lambs that you have raised, just like the other lambs that you have provided for temple worship. With the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go now, even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us they came with haste and found mary joseph and the babe lying in a manger when they had seen it they made known abroad the saying which was told concerning the child they were the first evangelists come and see come and hear come and find the savior we've seen him with our own eyes we can tell. We know. It would be eight days later that Mary and Joseph would walk 
into the house of God to, uh, for the, the process of circumcision and to dedicate this new baby to the Lord. And they would see the child and they would see that he was perfect. They would understand who he was. Simeon and Annas. They would see this is the one that we've been praying about. This is the one that we've been waiting for. This is the one that we've been promised that we would see before our death. But it didn't start there in the house of God. It started out in a field. It started out with a group of shepherds. It started out with just an angel appearing in a heavenly host with them. And let me tell you that you don't have to come from high society. But if you'll just open your eyes and open your spirit and you'll get in the right place at the right time, you're in the house of God today, you can see what the shepherds saw. They saw it before anybody else did. This is the Lamb of God. They got an understanding of what John the Baptist would say. This is the Lamb of God. God that has come to take away the sins of the world. The good shepherd and the Lamb of God. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things pondered them in her heart I know what I was told by the angel I know what the angel told Joseph but he looks just like a normal baby and the woman of God when she would go into the house of God with that eight-day-old Jesus, that old prophetess would look at her and she'd say, they're going to pull your heart out over this one. He's just a boy. He's just a baby. But if you could see what the shepherds saw, then you would know this was no ordinary child. Isaiah the prophet, six miles north of Bethlehem in the city of Jerusalem, would have said, or did say, in Isaiah 9 and verse 1, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation." When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. He's speaking prophetically of the Messiah that would come whose earthly ministry originated and, and, and took part uh, a large part in the land of Galilee. And he said those people had once just lived in darkness and they had lived under the shadow of death, but now there's a great light that they're going to be able to see. When they see what the shepherds saw. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy of the joy before thee according 
with joy and harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. But this shall it be with burning and fuel of fire. In spite of the dimness of captivity that Isaiah is living through, the Assyrians have come and they've carried away the people been prophesying but in spite of all of that he's looking forward some hundreds of years and he's saying I know children of Israel that we're not living in the light right now I know we're living in darkness he said but I can see it coming he's prophesying of it I can see it coming a great light Unlike anything that we've ever experienced, it's not going to be by man's hand. It's not going to be by modern warfare. He said, but I can see it coming. And in verse nine, uh, verse 6 of chapter 9, he said, For unto us is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall call his name Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. His answer to the darkness was the view of the shepherds. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. No other child has ever been or ever will be all the things that Jesus Christ was and is. The government, the rule, the dominion will be upon his shoulder or upon his back. His name shall be called Wonderful, Extraordinary, Hard to be Understood, Marvelous. The words used to describe his law, his dealings with his people, the fact that he's come down so marvelously to reconcile the world unto himself, Counselor to advise, to counsel. In Aramaic, it means to exhort, to admonish, to guide, to resolve, to deliberate. The mighty, the strong, the champion of champions, the warrior of warriors, the most valiant. But he's just a baby. But you're not seeing what the shepherds are seeing. You're not hearing what the shepherds heard. No other baby had been announced by an angelic host singing hallelujah. On our birthday, they don't sing hallelujah, they sing happy birthday. But the angels sang hallelujah on his birthday. It wasn't a birthday cake with candles, but there was a great light that began to shine in the sky. The most valiant warrior of warriors, champion of champions. It's described as an attribute of God, especially as fighting for his people. The mighty God, the one, the only, the true God, the everlasting Father. There's perpetuity. There's continuance. He's eternal. He's forever. Forevermore. That word everlasting means of past time and of future time. Of continuous existence. World without end. The revelator said, the everlasting Father literally means the Father of eternity. When the shepherds are looking at this Lamb of God, they're 
they're seeing all that Isaiah said. They're just six miles away from where the prophecy was given. They have heard the word of Isaiah. And he's saying, unto us, a child is born. This is the child. Friends, the official, the chief, the ruler, the captain of my peace. Shalom. Completeness. Soundness welfare and peace for unto us. Let's stand this morning. If we could see what the shepherds saw, we would understand that unto us he was born. Unto us, he was given. The Lamb of God, whom John the Baptist said has come to take away the sins of the world. John the Baptist's father was a Levite. You say, well, Joseph was of the tribe of Judah. How are they cousins? How are they related? Because Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, and Mary, the earthly mother of Jesus, were cousins. Their fathers were not cousins, so they were not from the same tribe. John the Baptist understood, because he was a Levite, what it meant to be the Lamb of God. Is it any wonder? It just gets me excited, and this isn't in my notes, and I know it's Christmas Day, so I'm trying to be cognizant of the time is it any wonder that the forerunner of Jesus was a Levite he knew what it meant to be the Lamb of God he understood what it took to take away sins or to push sins forward and John is standing there in the river Jordan and he sees Jesus in the crowd and he starts screaming. If we know anything about John the Baptist, we understand he was not conventional. He, he wasn't so concerned about being prim and proper. He wore camel's hair. He ate locusts and wild honey. Lived in the wilderness. Jesus asked the crowds later, he said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? He said, there wasn't anybody like John the Baptist. John sees him coming. The crowd is gathered around as John is in the, in the midst of the river baptizing. And he starts screaming, Behold the Lamb of God! Behold the Lamb of God! He's come to take away the sins of the world! John had seen what the shepherds saw. This is the one. This is the one so the first to come see him were the shepherds who would inspect the sacrifice before it would be brought to the temple. The forerunner who proclaimed that his ministry must decrease so Jesus' ministry could increase was a Levite who would lay his hand on the sacrifice. I want to see what the shepherds saw. 
I want to see him. Today, why don't we lift up our hands? This altar's open. If you want to come, I believe it would be a good thing for us all to just come. Let's pray. Let's thank him for being the sacrifice, the Lamb of God. Oh, hey.